Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. So far, text. Please be seated. Members of Good Shepherd Congregation, family and friends that have traveled all over in strange and difficult circumstances to be here, special family and friends of the bride and groom who get a front row seat, and especially to you, Isaiah and Audrey, grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. We sang it just a few minutes ago, didn't we? Psalm 27, or 127, excuse me. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. I think we can all agree that anybody who wants to get married, anybody who is married, anybody whose marriage is a little bit shaky or maybe even hanging on by a thread, they want a strong marriage, right? Of course. I had a little fun on Google. Yes, even old guys like me can play around. I typed in as a search, building a Christian marriage. Hundreds of thousands of links popped up. So I thought, you know, what better way to be able to share with you today what the world says is a great way to build a Christian marriage. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Let me just give you some of the titles of the articles that I went to. Eight Habits for Building a Christian Marriage. Five Steps to Build a Christian Marriage. The Secret of Building a Christian Marriage. 17 Keys to Build a Christian Marriage. 14 Ways to Build a Christian Marriage. Five Secrets to Build a Christian Marriage. Five Tips for a Christian Marriage. 20 God-Centered Tips for Building a Christian Marriage. Seven Biblical Ways to Have a Christian Marriage. 16 Characteristics of a Biblical Marriage. 10 Rules for a Christian Marriage. And my favorite, the Seven Commandments of Christian Marriage. Seven? I thought there were ten. Well, whatever. We're not going to... You can see that there is no consensus, at least through Google, to share with a young man and a young woman, soon to be husband and wife. And that's okay. Because God's Word, God's Word that has formed you and shaped you, the loving and gracious God that has brought you together and wants you to stay together has given you His Word. He's given you His Word of law, of course, but more importantly, His Word of promise. Today, 
Psalm 127, the first half of the first verse, authored by King Solomon, the Bible tells us the wisest human being ever to live. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. So, if you want a, to build a Christian marriage, and this isn't just for the bride and groom, but for all of us, if you want to build a Christian marriage, guess who does the building? The Lord God Himself. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is in the building department. Well, what about us? As always, we are the receiver of all good gifts. And all good gifts come from the Lord. I'm sure the Apostle Paul was thinking of this psalm when he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, Verse 11, there is no other foundation other than the foundation already laid, Jesus Christ our Lord. You can't have much of a house, a garage, an outbuilding, any kind of a structure, unless you have a firm foundation. We sang in our office him. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. Well, what about you? You're a part of the church. The church has this foundation, but your marriage to be as strong as it can be, to be the blessing to you that God wants it to be, needs to have this foundation on Jesus. Now, it's pretty easy to say that, isn't it? It's pretty easy to say, well, our relationship, our marriage, our family, our organization is built on Jesus. Pretty easy to say it. I'm sure you can see it crocheted on napkins or hanging on little pictures on the wall. But that's the problem, isn't it? God says, be perfect as I am perfect. Be holy as I am perfect. Even when we want to build our foundation on Jesus, it's not only difficult, it's impossible. Why? We know why. Because we're sinners, each and every one of us. Sin that we inherited from our parents all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. We heard in our first reading God's institution of marriage. And we get a little bit of creation in there as well. Our gift-giving creator God spoke into the dirt that he had already created, formed and shaped. He spoke to the dirt, he breathed into the dirt, and the dirt came alive. Adam, literally, man from the soil. But it was not good for the man to be alone. He took a hunk 
out of him. We usually clean it up and translate it rib, but he took a hunk out of him. And out of this chunk, this hunk of Adam, God made Eve. Out of one, God made two. What happens when people get married to become one? God's miracle, God's gift, God's mathematics. That's what's happening here today. Oh yes, you did all the planning and you did all the work and we got fancy dresses and all kinds of stuff like that. But God is the one who brought you together. God is the one who is building this marriage right here as we speak. Our gift-giving God is giving you each other. Thanks be to God. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing that the God who dug the hole for the ocean, the God who put all of the stars in their exact spot, the God who makes the wind blow and the rain fall, this God in his heart of love brought this man and this woman together. It was no cosmic accident. But the gift of a gift-giving God. My friends, marriage is a gift. It was instituted before sin came into the world. There is nothing inherently sinful about marriage, or work for that matter. So, we know that Adam and Eve's perfect marriage didn't last long. Sin came crashing down on them, on their family. Through them, it's still with us today. The consequences of sin are real. Why doesn't God do something about it? He did. Immediately after Adam and Eve brought sin into this world, he gave them a word of promise. He said that one day, one day from the seed of the woman, a Savior would come who would crush the serpent's head once and for all. The first gospel promise. Adam and Eve believed that promise. They clung to that promise. They passed it on to their children and their grandchildren and their great children. They lived in that promise. That promise of a Savior. That promise that is the forgiveness of sins. Adam and Eve were naked. And they felt no shame. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I see all of you today have clothes on. Thank you. But for a husband and a wife, there is no shame in being naked because this is God's gift to each other. Nakedness with someone else who's not your husband and wife, sadly, where there should be shame, there is none today. God has given you to each other to be one in heart, mind, body, and soul. This is God's gift. 
And God does not make mistakes. But what do we do with the gifts of God? We abuse them. We misuse them. We take them for granted. And so this is where God's gift of forgiveness needs to come in. Adam and Eve, naked in their shame, needed to be covered over. And so God provided animal skins for them. Where do you think he got the skins from? Adam and Eve didn't drop over dead when they ate the forbidden fruit. But death came into the world. Animals died. Adam and Eve are clothed. And we have the first picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus who shed his blood for wayward sinners like you and me. Jesus who pays the penalty that we have earned and deserve. Jesus takes the hit. Jesus pays the price. Jesus lives a perfect life dies an obedient death and rises victorious over sin, death, and the grave. That's the Jesus that needs to be the foundation of your marriage, of your family, of your life. A bloody, dead Jesus who rises over sin, death, and the devil. That Jesus. Not some made-up, pretend Jesus but the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus that you were baptized into. The Jesus that has loved you with an everlasting love. You know, I wish, I wish I could come up with something clever like um, five secrets to a happy marriage. I'm not trying to write a book or get a TV contract. It's really pretty simple. God brings sinners together as husband and wife. It's his gift. Sinners sin. You can be disappointed when the one you love sins. But don't be surprised because sinners sin. Isaiah, you're a great guy. You're going to be a great pastor, God willing. Preached from this pulpit just two weeks ago. Awesome job. To be a pastor is a challenging vocation. To be a pastor is very often a thankless vocation. I'd be lying if I said that, like over the last four months, the thought of quitting or early retirement hadn't entered my mind. But this is bigger than you and me or what you wanted to do since you were a confirmed kid. 
The office of the holy ministry is a gift as well. And one of the greatest gifts that God gives a pastor who he calls and places into the office of the holy ministry is a wife. As challenging as the vocation of pastor is, the vocation of pastor's wife is even more challenging. To be honest with him after a sermon or a Bible study and yet not crush him. To know that there are some times when he needs your big shoulders and other times when he has to keep what's on his mind to himself. To understand, not to like it, but to understand when a vacation or a family trip or even a date night gets canceled because of an emergency at the hospital or the mortuary. To be there, to help, to encourage, to support, and to love, for better or worse. I laid it all out on the all my cards out on the table. I put it all out on the line. I wasn't trying to talk you out of it, but. I was brutally honest with both of you. And yet here we are today. My friends, you want to know the key, the secret, the ways, the foundation, the rules, the characteristics of a healthy, Christian marriage. Five words. Five words. It's that simple. Five words. Are you ready? I'm sorry. That's two. I forgive you. Two plus three. See how that works? When one of you works up enough courage after you have sinned to come clean, you need to say the words, I'm sorry. And when the other one, having been sinned against, hears those words, you need to avoid the temptation to say what you really feel. You should be, you big jerk. The proper response to I'm sorry is not, okay, no problem. We'll do better next time. That doesn't cut it, folks. That is not the foundation that a Christian marriage is built on. I'm sorry, I forgive you. I'm sorry, I forgive you. When those five words are a part of your relationship, a part of your marriage, a part of your family, a part of your life, the blessings that God has in store for you will never end. Isn't that what we do when we come into God's house? The very first thing we do 
I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. And what does the pastor in the name instead of Jesus say? No problem? Try harder next week? Of course not. God speaks to us through His lips what we need to hear. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm sorry I forgive you is living out in your vocation what being a Christian is all about. As Lutherans, we believe, teach, and confess that the heart, core, center, soul of Christianity is justification by grace through faith on account of the person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, the forgiveness of sins. That's the key to being a Christian. That's the key to your marriage. That's the foundation that you are building on, that God is building on, right here and right now. You know it. You've been looking forward to this day for a long time. So have I. So have many of you. I'm thankful that we're able to be here together, actually in person in God's house. But for all those who couldn't be, the message is exactly the same. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Isaiah, Audrey, build your marriage. Build your family. If God calls you into the holy office, build your pastorate. Build your life on that solid foundation, which is Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for you. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts, our minds, our lives, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.